Hello. Wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. I'm Hari Arkli and this is today's Tech Briefing. Later in the program, I'll be speaking to Yashraj Yarande, Managing Director and Partner at the Mumbai office of Boston Consulting Group on the proliferation of digital banks in the Asia-Pacific. That's after these headlines. Klarna Bank has raised $639 million in fresh equity funding in an investment led by SoftBank Group that values the Swedish fintech startup at $45.6 billion, the company said in a statement yesterday. This is just months after two separate investment rounds have sent the company's valuation soaring, Bloomberg pointed out. The Stockholm-based company, which is already Europe's most valuable startup, is popularizing the concept of buy now, pay later among its various products and services. I'm proud of the investors who are supporting Klarna's ambition to challenge outdated models to empower consumers with fair, transparent and convenient products to help them bank, shop and pay each day. Sebastian Simiatkowski, the company's founder and chief executive, said in the press release. Klarna in March raised $1 billion at a valuation of $31 billion, tripling its price from a previous round in September. Simiat Kautsky at the time had said there was high demand from investors and they could have raised as much as $3 billion, according to the Bloomberg report. In addition to SoftBank, other investors, including Adit Ventures, Honeycomb Asset Management and Westcap Group, Sequoia Capital, Silver Lake, Dragonair and Permira also invested. In more news about SoftBank Group's funding pushing startups' valuations ever so high, Eightfold AI a venture which uses deep learning and artificial intelligence to help companies find, recruit and retain workers, has raised $220 million in a new funding round led by SoftBank Vision Fund 2. The deal more than doubles the valuation of the five-year-old startup to $2.1 billion, up from $1 billion in October last. Eightfold AI's founder and chief executive Ashutosh Gurg told TechCrunch in an interview yesterday. Existing investors, General Catalyst, Capital One Ventures, Foundation Capital, IVP and Lightspeed Venture Partners also participated in the new round, which brings the startup's all-time fundraising to over $410 million. The Mountain View-based startup provides its clients with a talent acquisition platform that helps them identify suitable candidates and import and filter thousands of resumes. One of Eightfold AI's missions is to help companies reduce biases in their hirings so it masks candidates' personal information during evaluation, according to the TechCrunch report. Garg, an Indian-American entrepreneur, previously worked at IBM Research, where he filed patents on understanding people's behavior, and Google, where he worked on the company's user personalization efforts. Tata Digital is acquiring a 51-60% to 60% stake in online pharmacy 1MG as the Tata Group steps up its plan to build a super app, Economic Times reported yesterday, citing people familiar with the development. This comes days after the conglomerate invested $75 million into health and fitness startup CureFit and appointed its co-founder Mukesh Bansal as president. 1MG is said to have received about $100 million to $120 million in primary capital and $220 to $240 million overall, including secondary investments, according to people close to the development, Economic Times reported. Existing investors Redwood Global Korea, Omega, and World Bank's International Finance Corporation have also invested primary capital. The deal values 1MG at $450 million, according to the newspaper's report. 
Sequoia Capital and Omidyar Network are fully exiting the venture, while other early investors are opting for partial exits, the paper reports. Speaking of IBM, the company's US employees will go back to the office the week of September 7, according to a memo sent to staff earlier this week from Chief Human Resources Officer Nikhil Lamoureux, CNBC reported on June 9th. In the memo, which was seen by CNBC, Lamoureux said IBM is working on protocols for fully vaccinated employees to work in the office without masks. In addition, Lamoureux said IBM is working on health and safety protocols for business travel and meetings with clients from outside the company. The memo didn't specify whether or not employees will have the option to continue remote work either full or part-time, but did say IBM has long-established practices and policies supporting work-life balance which will continue as we return to the office. The return to work plan only applies to IBM's employees in the US, where COVID-19 cases have dramatically fallen in recent months amid a massive vaccination drive across the country. IBM has some 345,000 employees spread over 175 countries, although the two largest concentrations are in the US and India. OnePlus released its Nord CE 5G smartphone yesterday. The Android smartphone has a 64MP triple camera system, a 90Hz Fluid AMOLED display, Qualcomm Snapdragon 750G 5G processor, 4500 mAh battery, and improved warp charge 30T+, along with OnePlus's Oxygen OS 11. The battery still charges at the same speed, 0-70% to 70% in 30 minutes. Like all OnePlus devices, Nord CE also adapts to reduce the time spent at 100% battery to maintain good battery health while charging overnight. The phone is available in three colors, charcoal ink, silver ray, and blue void. The smartphone will go on sale on June 16th on Amazon.in and OnePlus.in at 12 noon. The handset will cost 22,999 rupees for the 6GB RAM and 128GB storage version, 24,999 for the 8GB RAM and 128GB storage version, and 27,999 for the 12GB RAM and 256GB storage variant. Some pre-orders on OnePlus.in start today. Digital banks or neobanks, as they are often interchangeably called these days, are on the rise. These branch-less mobile internet-led banks are often a combination of a fintech company acquiring the customers with a more traditional bank providing the actual bank accounts and services and so on, with some exceptions. I spoke to Yashraj Erande, Managing Director and a partner at Mumbai office Boston Consulting Group, about the proliferation of these new banks, although only a handful of them are actually profitable. Yashraj, uh, welcome to this podcast. Thank you so much for making time for this. Thank you. Uh, so, and it's an interesting time uh, to be talking about digital banks in India as well. And, uh, uh, and it's uh, a good opportunity for us to discuss your latest uh, report. So to get started, uh, you know, I guess internet banking has been around for many years now, right? So, That's right. So tell us a bit about uh, what's different about uh, the digital banks that you have looked at in your study. And, and what has been happening over the last few years, especially that uh, so many of these banks have come up? Oh, yeah. So we are at a very, very interesting point in our journey. The world today has around 249, 250 odd 
so-called digital challenger banks. Now, this number changes by the day, but that's the order of magnitude. Uh, they have been in existence, as we just discussed, for some of them for multiple decades and some of them for the last five, six years. But uh, a few things stand out. The path to profitability for these banks has not been easy. Out of all of these 249 odd, uh, 13 banks have actually declared uh, profit uh, profitability. They are actually profitable, and um, so that's a very that's a very low number given that these attempts have been going on for a long time. Um, on the other hand, if you ask yourself, what is have these banks really created a major dent in the market? and use a metric called uh, market penetration. What percentage of the market digital banks have been able to penetrate? And I use a threshold of 5%. You'll find that not many have gotten there. Now that's been the story up until now. However, as we stand here today, let's look at the things that make this more exciting. Out of the 13 banks that are profitable, 10 are in Asia Pacific. Mm -hmm. and there is something about the demographics of this geography, about the digital infrastructure which has been created, and we are very familiar with the India's uh, India stack and uh, the entire digital infrastructure getting created there. All of these things and the demographics has made it a very interesting space. You know, it, it tells you something if 10 out of 13 profitable banks are in Asia Pacific. The second thing is that these banks have grown at a very fast momentum. So the market penetration point, there are banks such as Kakao in South Korea, which have crossed 23-24% market penetration. Mm. And then there is a bank called Tinkoff in Russia, that is the third largest retail bank in Russia, with a return on equity profile of 50% and above, you know, not unheard of. Mm. So the, the, the people who are successful are wildly successful. Their enterprise valuation is through the roof. Profitability return profiles are very healthy. Customers are extremely passionate, very high net promoter scores. So those who are successful are wildly successful and 10 of them are actually in Asia Pacific. Hmm. Out of a total of 13. So that's, that's the exciting part. Um, in India, the landscape uh, is is very interestingly positioned. So first of all, if you take Asia Pacific, which is the focus of our report, um, and if you look at the financial services revenue pool, uh, compared to some of the other revenue pools in Southeast Asia, the, the Indian financial revenue pool is six, 10, sometimes 14 times in size uh, to the Southeast Asian revenue pool. So it's a exceptionally, exceptionally large markets. It has got uh, a spectacular ecosystem of just utility, digital utilities, whether it is Aadhaar or GST data or um, UPI, uh, these are just very strong infrastructural capabilities which can lower the cost of becoming a digital bank and also accelerate the speed with which you can launch uh, some of these features. So it's a India is a very exciting uh, uh, large opportunity which is kind of ready for digital, and we have separately as BCG we do a survey of digital readiness of customers and it's very clear that uh, financial services uh, on digital channels has been growing rapidly uh, within India also. So very good point um, in terms of 
preconditions that are required to launch a digital bank. And then the market structure, you will see, in my mind, there are three types of ar three archetypes of what uh, what competitive moves are happening. There is uh, the classical banks. You can take 811 by Kotak. Uh, actually, Digibank by DBS uh, was one of the original digital banks of India. Mm -hmm. uh, these are players who are saying, look, we are manufacturers of the financial products, whether it is savings account, current account, home loan, credit card, all of those unsecured loans. We, we manufacture it, but we are also going to create a, a solution, a digital solution, which gets people to feel passionately about us just the way they feel about Amazon. So that's where the 811s and DigiBanks are coming from. <clears throat> But their economics is, is very different, right? They are trying to capture value in the financial products that they are that they are generating. So their ROE tree, their their risk metrics, their enterprise value metrics are are different. On the other hand, um, in uh, at the other extreme, there are players who have very large ecosystems. So this would be the Paytm or Razor phase of the world, who are saying that look. We have got very large ecosystems, digital. We offer many, many services and features uh, to, to the customer on our digital platform. That person can make payments, they can uh, do shopping, um, they can uh, save and invest, uh, they can buy gold. I mean, a whole, they can do many, many things on our platform. And because our value or enterprise value is, is also to a large extent influenced by customer engagement on our platform. We want to make sure that customer engagement is maximized and therefore we want to offer finance also as a feature. Mm. So it's not like we are shutting down the mall and all that and now completely turning into a bank. We are saying we are all of that and we also have finance. So it gives one more reason for the customer to come and spend time on our platform and increase the stickiness. So that's the second extreme. But these are not people who have uh, historically ever originated, warehoused and managed risk. Right, uh, and and this is where finance is very different from any other industry. It's hurry. I'm, I'm probably stating the obvious, but just to uh, kind of clarify and drive home a point. If you sell if you sell a a, a pack of biscuit, uh, and a customer buys that biscuit, there is no such thing as a bad customer because the moment that customer has bought that biscuit at a price that he wanted to sell, you have made money. But in finance, if you bring a customer on board. There is something called as a good and a bad customer. In lending, the bad customer is someone who takes your money and doesn't return it. And in deposits, the bad customer is someone who puts his money with you, but then either is a high risk customer because maybe using the money for nefarious purposes, which is the AML, anti-money laundering and KYC related issue, fraud, or this may be a person who may maintain such low balances that the services that you end up offering and the cost of maintaining a branch, a person, a contact center, all that for that customer for a low balance means that you actually lose money on the customer. You don't make money. And typically in India, the benchmark is if you don't have 25,000 rupees of average balance in an account, it becomes very hard to break even on that account. So there, in financial services, there is something called a bad and a good customer. So when, when people start adding finance as a feature, the way they think about economics on every other product, the mall or other services and payment transactions and interchange fees. That logic doesn't work. The economics of finance is different. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something they need to solve for. And now there's a third archetype also, 
which is which is different in the sense these people are saying look we don't have an ecosystem of customers we don't have um, universal banking licenses or balance sheets uh, that we can play out of but we are going to create the best customer experience so we will have the best app we will have the best api integrations we will have uh, the most customized solution to a given segment and then we will we will take somebody else's product uh, some other bank's product will tie up at the back end they, let them manufacture it and i will we'll just take it to the customer so our focus is customer and these are players such as neo open jupiter fi uh, there are other like nemo some of more smaller startups also so this number keeps growing but these are the middle guys right they they are just saying look we are going to create the best customer experience we don't have anything else to offer but we need to partner with someone else to sell the financial product. so that's that's the ecosystem of uh, or rather that's the landscape of uh, digital challenger banks in india who are the target customers for these banks um so <laughs> there are two uh, two strategic thrust areas that i am seeing one is actually some variant of financial inclusion where for example nemo which is a very young startup uh, but just referring to them as an example yes um they are saying look we want to drive digital banking for msmes so that means these are the 60 million odd msmes that don't get access to credit that are underserved and how do we use data technology uh, along with and this is a very important point along with a lot of value added services accounting gst payment payroll etc you bundle all of that and then you go to an msme and make that small proprietors shopkeeper that person's life simple and bring that make that person more organized and help that person get access to credit on the back of data and record that gets created so that's one attempt similar attempts are uh, in you know semi urban rural areas where uh, for example neo has launched a, a a bank account or a card uh, which is focused only on blue collar workers so mm-hmm. so and and then the cost of course has to be engineered around it because you can't open a large branch and serve this so it's actually helpful in some ways to have more of a digital uh, infrastructure and less manpower and uh, hard assets intensive cost track uh, but that's happening the other thing is the second strategic uh, thrust that uh, these banks have is they have they have picked uh, a niche segment and are trying to create big innovation around it and this is actually seen also globally and true in india so for example forex card so revolut which is um, which is now which has been attempting uh india entry also and um has been around of course in the uh, in the uk for a long time ha- led with a uh, with a forex card neo similarly in india is also uh, did an innovation around forex card and said we are going to for the segment of customers who are travelers who need a lot of foreign exchange and don't get good deals we will have the absolute best possible product out there hmm. in terms of financial benefits as well as the convenience so that's a niche now that's not the same as a blue collared worker or a uh, under uh, credit underserved or credit hungry msme uh, but it's a niche which had a friction point and they're solving so both of these segments are happening uh, so in summary there are innovation around niche segments where there were a lot of friction points which are getting solved with a better customer product design uh, and on the other hand there is this whole story of underpenetration uh, which is also being driven through uh, 
through this offering. Um, just I'll, I'll give you one more example, and this is an important uh, use case which is being built in India for digital banks. This is around current accounts. So, uh, you know, the traditional current account, if you go and open it with uh, a, a bank, uh, just gives you the facility to keep money in the account. The bank doesn't pay you any interest. You get a checkbook, you may get a debit card, uh, and then you can go about doing some transactions. But what the digital banks figured out is the, the reason why a small business owner or somebody opens a current account is uh, is to be able to do a whole host of legitimate transactions and, and accounting around it. So these banks said that we will open a current account for you. And around that current account, we will bundle many value added services. We will bundle your, um, your uh, uh, GST returns, uh, filings, we will bundle your payroll, we will bundle your um, accounting system. So you don't have to uh, worry about punching data into tally manually and so on. So all of these things they bundled and now you have a current account that actually fully synchronizes between payments, payroll, expenses, uh, financial uh, accounts and uh, obviously the bank balance. So this is the other use case which is being driven, which is a full stack solution. Take a financial product and layer a lot of value added services on it. Hmm. And in your report, uh, you've said that success is not guaranteed for these banks and you also referred to that earlier on in our conversation you said very few have actually been able to show profitability so what are the challenges that's a very good question again um, challenges for profitability um, okay so for first challenge is that this promise of so in in financial services you make money uh, th there are some products which are loss leaders and there are some products which are immediately profitable. But in general, in digital banking at least, you make money if you are able to build lifetime value with that customer. If that customer stays loyal to you, you keep providing additional services and good experience. And then through that, um, your economic starts looking much better, right? It's, it, it's mathematically very simple. If you acquire a good customer, then next time, if you're uh, if you're doing another, uh, if you're doing one more business with that customer, selling another product or service, there is no acquisition cost. You save on that. Your risk is lower because you already know that this is a good customer. Um, the customer also is comfortable because the experience has been good, so the propensity to stay with you is higher. So the the fundamental point is that for you to genuinely become profitable, uh, being able to generate lifetime value with that customer to uh, having multiple relationships in terms of products and services is extremely crucial. Uh, where a lot of these digital banks struggle is uh, they start with one or two um, killer products uh, which uh, go viral, create a lot of hype, uh, drive a lot of interest and they're genuinely good. But then you let years roll and it becomes very hard to actually do more business with the same customer. So, so that is a, is a significant risk. The second big risk um, that exists to profitability is finance is a pretty simple business, right? You raise money at a certain rate, you lend money at a certain rate and you make, uh, make the spread in between and maybe a few, uh, some fees for some uh, services that you provide, maybe payments, transfer of money, et cetera, whatever. 
so if you if as a digital bank you only play on one leg which is let's say you only collect money but you are not the person lending it or let's say in, in terms of the fintech nbfcs which is a different topic altogether and I, i will not spend too much time but let's say you are only lending and you don't really have access to uh, the customer's liabilities it creates a structural disadvantage for you because then your income stream is relying only on one leg of the transaction so uh, that that's the other risk people who build digital banks i mean just look at the examples that for example tinkoff in in russia mm. uh, it does uh, it does lending but it also provides many other financial services which are relevant to the customer uh, it's not a one trick game uh, with kakao you'll find an entire ecosystem of services being bundled in so so that's the that's the second point that you know finance you make money in finance by by earning fees and playing on the spread and the more narrower you make your business scope uh, the more difficult it becomes to survive through cycles okay uh, one standard question as we look to start wrapping this up um, if you throw the story 5 years 5 years ahead how do you see the digital banking ecosystem evolve in india yeah this good question uh, in some ways i can see parallels between uh, uh, the streaming companies and content creating companies right there is uh, it's similar there are people in in financial services as well you will have uh, players who are manufacturers of these products whether it is insurance savings loan uh, wealth management uh, payments the people who actually make these products uh, cards and so on uh, and then there are people who um own the customer relationship or i would say own is a strong word but people who um have a deeper customer connect uh and uh, both these uh, there will be entities that will differentiate on one or the other and um, i'm sure just like in in the media world there will be a few who will be trying to integrate forward and backward <laughs> from their starting position uh but in in general i think this is going to lead to at an industry level a completely new standard on what providing a high quality digital uh, financial services experience means uh, to the customer that is a certainty uh, now whether these remain independent whether they become tightly coupled with uh, the manufacturers or balance sheet providers um, that remains to be seen because it it also there is one one big variable in this which is regulation now i'll give you an example if if rbi comes up with a regulation and says digital banks uh, is a unique is a type of license and i will issue that license and people can then become uh, special purpose digital banks that changes uh, the dependency on traditional banks for these new age banks quite dramatically right you can start accepting deposits so it depends if that doesn't happen maybe you still need to rely on these large banks who have the current account savings account of the customers casa as it is called so this is a important unknown it's a known unknown um but what is definitely for sure is that the customer experience and digital capabilities will improve significantly okay excellent uh, this is this is really good uh, insightful conversation uh, to yashraj uh, thank you again uh, for making time for this podcast and, uh, i always like to say we Uh, hope to keep the conversation going 
Absolutely, Harid. Thank you for uh, taking the time out. Uh, it's an area of passion. Uh, I think it can make a big difference to Indian economy. And thank you for providing the platform to talk about it with you. That was Yashraj Arande at BCG. That's it for this briefing. You can find all our podcasts on ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast apps. I'm Hari Arakli. Thank you for listening.